0: Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, September 22nd, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Executive Editor, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. This week, Andrew, we pick up where we left off. Last week, with another high-profile copyright infringement lawsuit, this one filed against OpenAI. The case was brought by the U.S. Authors Guild and includes, as named plaintiffs, authors Ellen Hildebrand, Jonathan Franzen, and John Grisham.
1: Yeah, next verse, same as the first. Well, mostly, right? Another class action copyright suit, another high profile group of plaintiff authors, and more claims that OpenAI is guilty of copyright infringement for illegally harvesting copies of copyrighted works to train its large language model AI service. And while these base claims, I think, are largely similar to the suits that have gone before, I think this is the fourth suit filed by authors now over having their books used to train AI without permission or payment. Each one kind of builds the pressure and focus on the potential harmful effects of AI on creative communities. And each suit that gets filed. I think adds a few more details as to how that harm can happen. For example, this complaint mentions the misappropriation of author identity, and it explicitly calls out author and publishing observer Jane Friedman's recent experience in which she found someone had used AI to create new books using her name and was selling them on Amazon. It's pretty scary stuff, and it was not all that easy to clear up for Jane. Now, is there a copyright cause of action here against OpenAI because its software was misappropriated by a bad actor and exploited on a major platform like Amazon that clearly lacks appropriate safeguards? Well, I'm not so sure there's a copyright case there, but it certainly points to areas that really do demand the attention of policymakers. Two other quick observations, when the first suit was filed against OpenAI uh, by authors, this back in June, the Authors Guild applauded the litigation in a statement, but also appeared to acknowledge the sort of difficult legal road the case may face in court, uh, writing in its statement that using books to train AI without permission or payment was blatantly unfair, but sort of hedging that statement by saying, and I'll quote them here, whether or not a court ultimately finds it to be fair use. Well, apparently they now believe there is enough of a shot here to hire the lawyers and file their own suit. Uh, And the other thing I'll point out, too, is that this case is in New York, which is in in the Southern District here, which is the publishing industry's backyard. The other cases are filed in California. And one final shameless plug here. One of the counsel for the Authors Guild, Scott Shoulder, will be discussing some of the copyright issues raised by AI at a PW AI summit set for next week, uh, September 27th. You can get all the details on that on the PW site. It's a fantastic program, and it promises to be a fascinating, wide-ranging discussion. So please do join us if you can.
0: Well, I have signed up, Andrew. I'm looking forward to attending that program. In a victory for Freedom to Read advocates this week, a federal judge in Texas has issued a dramatic written opinion and order officially blocking HB 900, Texas's controversial book rating law. He found it to be unconstitutional. That opinion comes nearly three weeks after the judge enjoined the law orally at the end of August. Was the opinion worth
1: the wait? Yeah, I think it was uh, a pretty major victory here. And, you know, as you know, it comes three weeks after, you know, this oral order that blocked the law, federal judge Alan D. Albright delivered a substantive Fifty-nine page written opinion in order, telling us exactly why he planned to join that order, or did join that order, I should say. Uh, as you say, finding the law unconstitutional, overly burdensome, and to be blunt, from reading the the, the opinion in order, he found it to be just an absolute mess. So, you know, as a, just as a primer, I'll go back and remind listeners that HB nine hundred was signed by Texas Governor Greg Abbott on June twelfth, and it would have required book vendors to review and rate. Books Now, all books, books they've sold in the past and books that would be forthcoming to be sold into schools to rate all of those books for sexual content under a really vaguely articulated standard. This is a condition of being able to do business with Texas public schools. Now, in suing to block the law, the plaintiffs, that includes two Texas bookstores, Austin's Book People and Houston's Blue Willow Bookshop, along with the American Booksellers Association, the Association of American Publishers, the Authors Guild and the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, the plaintiffs argued that this law was clearly a prior restraint and unconstitutional, and that it would impose this untenable, expensive burden on vendors and publishers. And after two hearings in August, Albright agreed. But, of course, we didn't know why until this week. Well, it turns out uh, Albright needed to take his time because there was a lot he needed to address. Now, in his written opinion, Albright said the court does not dispute that the state has a strong interest in what children learn in school and that they should be protected from obscenity in a school setting. But he called HB 900 a web of – I'll quote him here – unconstitutionally vague requirements, and he accused the state of abdicating its responsibility to protect children – by forcing private individuals and corporations into compliance with an unconstitutional law. So totally agreeing with the plaintiff's theory of the case here. At one point, Albright observed that the burden placed on vendors by the law are so numerous and onerous that they call into question whether the legislature believed any third party could possibly comply with them. And here's something else that struck me, uh, both from the hearing and in reading it in the, the opinion. At the hearings, the Texas state lawyers appeared awfully unprepared to defend the law. And that may not be their fault because the law really is very vague and quite a mess. And in his opinion, the judge noticed just that, too, saying that generally the government was, I'll quote him again here, confused and unaware of how the law would actually function in practice. And he cited approximately 40 instances during the first hearing alone, the August 18th hearing, where the government either did not know how the law would function or said, I have to come back and find out for you, judge. Also, like many critics of the law, uh, me included, I've talked about it on this program, Albright was highly critical of the state's attempt to sort of outsource these book ratings, the cost and everything, to private vendors you know, under these unconstitutionally vague standards. And we should point out, too, these are considerable non-recoupable costs, right? The vendors don't have a way to make these costs back. So the outsourcing, the responsibility, and the cost to these vendors while retaining the unchecked power to change a book's rating and force vendors to then adopt the state's rating as its own, effectively imposing a state standard. Albrecht called this a textbook example of unconstitutional compelled speech. The government has failed to articulate any legitimate reason at all for requiring the vendors to speak, the judge concluded, and said that the government has the power to do these ratings if it wants to. You know, it has the power, it has great discretion over which books its schools can buy. Within the bounds of the Constitution, he points out, But these powers are powers that should be exercised by the state, he insisted, not by compelling third parties like book vendors to perform this duty or face a penalty. And I guess I'll just sum things up this way. Albright, a Trump appointee, by the way, pretty much demolished the law in this ruling, you know, line after line. And as you might expect, the conservative sponsors of the law are now accusing him, again, a Trump appointee, of harboring extreme views. Anyway, for now, the law is blocked. The litigation continues. The state has already filed a notice of appeal to the Fifth Circuit. So while booksellers and educators are breathing a sigh of relief, there's surely more to come.
0: Two reports this week offer insightful data on book bans, Andrew. One from the American Library Association and the other from Penn America.
1: Yeah, so the legal victories in the book ban realm are great, but there's still a a lot going on here. And... Of course, it's that time of year again, right? It's almost banned books week. Uh, and with the annual week-long event approaching, the American Library Association, who runs Banned Books Week, released new preliminary data showing a continuing surge in attempts to censor books and materials in public school and academic libraries during the first eight months of 2023. Overall, the ALA's Office for Intellectual Freedom reported six hundred and ninety-five attempts to censor library materials between January 1 and August 31 of this year. Now, on its face, that's only up slightly. There were 681 documented attempts at this point last year, so 695 to 681. You might be tempted to say that the growth rate there is is slowed down, so that's a good thing. However, the 695 challenges involve a still-surging number of books, of unique titles. In fact, the number of unique titles challenged jumped 20% over last year to 1,915. That's the number of unique titles that have been targeted so far in 2023, this compared to about 1,650 last year. Now, what does that mean? Well, the rise in unique titles challenge is really indicative of the rise in these organized political groups that are creating and sharing lists of objectionable content that they wanna ban. Now in past years, most challenges would come from individuals who are seeking to remove or restrict a single book. But what we're now seeing, and what's indicated by these stats, is that we're seeing large numbers of books being pushed under a single challenge. In fact, 90% of books challenged were part of an attempt to censor multiple titles, and challenges that targeted 100 or more books in one challenge were reported in 11 states. This compared to six during the same reporting period in 2022. And here's an interesting note, there were zero of these in 2021, which shows you how the organized nature of these book bans really kicked in in 2021 and is still growing to this day. Uh, The data also suggests that the surge in book bans is moving from school to public libraries. Challenges to books in public libraries accounted to nearly half of the challenges documented thus far in 2023, about 49% ALA officials report, and that's up from 16% during the same reporting period last year. So that's sobering stuff from the ALA. Now, the PEN America report has a slightly different focus on schools. Now, the PEN America report tracks bans differently, so the numbers are going to be different here. But in its report, PEN found 3,362 instances of books banned in public schools – during the 2022-2023 school year. That is a whopping 33% increase over last year. And here's a really eye-opening finding. More than 40% of all book bans nationwide tracked by PEN America occurred in school districts in Florida. Over 1,400 across 33 districts in Florida, with Texas a distant second with only 625 book bans followed by Missouri, only 625 book bans in Texas. Uh, the Penn Report builds on three previous reports, right? There's most recently a report that we talked about back in April called Banned in the USA, how state laws are supercharging book suppression in schools. Uh, that looked at the role, obviously, of how state legislation was fueling these book bans, just like the laws that were struck, that was struck down in Texas and a law that was struck down in Arkansas in July. And the reports are worth reading. You can check out the full reports, both the ALA report And the Pan America Report online, I've written about both on the PW site. But I'll leave you with a takeaway, and that's that despite legal victories that we're seeing quite a few of now, the recent win in Texas is an example. In the political arena, in the legislative arena, book bans remain an intractable fact of life. And for freedom to read advocates, the fight outside the courtroom goes on.
0: Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Executive Editor. Thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis.
1: My pleasure, as always.
0: Coming up on Velocity of Content, at the 2023 High Level Political Forum on Sustainability Development in New York this week, the UN Secretary General declared that the Sustainable Development Goals carry the hopes, dreams, rights, and expectations of people everywhere. Yet today he said only 15% of the targets are on track and many are going in reverse. Corey Peterson, Chief Sustainability Officer for the University of Tasmania, has led his institution to the top level of sustainability efforts. Although he shares many of those concerns, he remains upbeat. I understand the dire warnings. I understand that things can get worse and probably to a certain extent will. But I also do firmly believe humanity is at its best when it's up against a a significant threat. Uh, We tend to rise to the occasion and can manage change uh, more fully than it's at this point. We just need to be minimizing uh, the suffering and the negative impact. So I agree with him. Yes, we are not on track, uh, but I also think that we do stand a chance. Hence the optimist part of Apocal Optimist. Frameworks for Sustainability on Campus, next on Velocity of Content. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to this program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening.